All right, we are all set. All right. First up, we had an article from Yahoo Finance on DJI. Well, let's see. Before we jump into that, let's give everybody a quick welcome and say that uh, welcome to our FPVFC meeting. I'm I'm Dan. Uh, there's also Dave and Alex. If you guys want to wave quick to the camera, <laughs> Dave will be running the show for the most part today, I think. Uh, Josh, who's usually here, uh, had to step out today, so he sent us his notes. So we're going to be going over what he had planned to be talking about today. And Dave, I believe you also, that wasn't in his notes, you also wanted to briefly mention something about the delay with remote ID. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm not well versed on it, but uh, we should mention that. And I'm not sure I there's a whole wanna... lot you need to know about it. <laughs> Just yes. that it's been yeah. delayed. It's been delayed 30, 36 days. I think I think that's the essence of it. That and uh, at the end, I'll mention uh, what's going on in the ASTM F thirty four eleven group, as well as the drone advisory committee uh, work that we're doing. A couple of couple of comments at the end. Sounds good. Yeah, Bruce is asking, where's all the new DJI FPV drone owners that are joining for the first time? I I don't see I don't know that we got a whole lot of new uh, DJI FPV members into at least not into our Discord. Um, did you see Dave how during Joshua Bardwell's live stream they did the search for FPV and our our ad came up at the top? So I did. I Hopefully did. I a lot of people of are at least finding our website when they search FPV. I'm not sure. I was also blown away at the you know, the magnitude of the you know, step function of searching on FPV. I mean, certainly, you know, we live in this space and we think, oh, doesn't everyone know about FPV? <laughs> and the obvious is nope. Right. So to get uh, polish up those rules on uh, appropriate uh, usage of uh, visual observers. <laughs> yep. All right, so what did Josh have planned for us the first article today? Uh, okay, the first article was uh, from a uh, an article about uh, DJI, and uh, mostly it started off on uh, on their layoffs, and then it went through a, a bit of financial analysis and went through uh, some speculation that it's it's possible that. Uh, the loss of people in the United States uh, that DJI laid off in uh, Palo Alto uh, in combination with the uh, challenges that uh, DJI, a privately held Chinese company, uh, will have and has had uh, with uh, the U.S. federal government could be a, a drain on their uh, on their sales. Um, so... Uh, having been a, a senior manager and being uh, been a manager uh, on the delivery side of uh, 24 subsequent layoffs, whenever I see uh, people uh, being laid off, it's a, it's a very depressing uh, thing, uh, particularly uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So Do you DJI know anything, has around... anything about what uh, that group at DJI did in the United States exactly? I know at least uh, one of them, and they were uh, absolutely involved in the some of the design as well as the uh, uh, working in standards as well as uh, uh, final test. So they were, uh, it's, and uh, it's really bright. And so, you know, when you, sometimes a, uh, a U.S. Uh, subsidiary in quote engineering is just a, a splinter sales team. A lot of uh, global companies do that. This was not, this was a, uh, uh, there, there were salespeople, there were marketing people last year in the United States uh, who are working for DJI, um, the, but the Palo Alto group is a, re, is a R and D or uh, engineers working on development and final tests and uh, approvals specs, uh, as well as uh, assisting the uh, regulatory and standards bodies. Okay. And it sounds like some of the people chose to leave and a lot of people were left laid off. And I'm sure that's fancy speak for something else, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's never, uh, you know, and so having managed a lot of times the uh, the people who are left behind, uh, that's a real difficult uh, situation. And you know, to me, what's one of the, uh, several of the important takeaways uh, uh, are that uh, uh, the DJI uh, 
uh, works with and contributes and collaborates with the ASTM uh, on standards. They worked on the ARC, uh, the uh, uh, Aviation Rule Committee for UAS a number of years ago. They work with Assure, uh, with the universities on testing, and they work with the uh, uh, Drone Advisory Committee. Uh, so they're working with the regulators and they also uh, lobby Congress uh, very effectively. So they are absolutely an advocate for recreational and commercial uh, drones, and they do uh, a lot in addition to uh, producing uh, drones. So to me, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, that, that's, that, that's a really unfortunate news. But yeah. a, a, a good company and uh, they, you know, certainly their engineering and you look at a Mavic 2, compare it to uh, the growth and the the difference between a uh, a Mavic two and a, a Phantom four just amazing amazing technology. All right, that's all I had on that article. All right. Don't know if anybody had any questions about that. But what else did Josh have for us today? Okay, and Alex, could you keep an eye on the on the questions? I, I'm not. Uh, I don't have a screen up on the, on the questions. If I, I'm sure I'll miss something. Uh, if you just give a yell if uh, something comes up that uh, uh, Dan or I miss. I don't see any questions yet. But it says right, XJet is typing, so you never know what's going to come up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is, D, is DJI changing its focus from commercial to recreational users in light of the federal restriction? Yeah, you'd have to ask DJI. But that's, <laughs> uh, from everything we can see, the answer is no. They, they've got a, a fantastic, and they they have uh, publicly said that they they continue the the uh, United States market as an important market for them, and uh, they are they continue to be the leader in uh, commercial and recreational drones. Okay. Next article was from MarketWatch. And this was uh, counter UAS market, top manufacturer size, business scenario, chair, growth insights, industry analysis, trends, and forecast reports. So uh, through my career, uh, articles like this uh, in my industry were always interesting because uh, you know, good. One of the theorems uh, is you try never to use your own numbers because they have no credibility, and you the uh, you try to use someone else's uh, numbers. And if uh, they're outside source, like uh, MarketWatch, they you know can be can help on a triangulation and a and a, a market forecast. So I I was playing with uh, some of the numbers that uh, these guys quoted, and they said that uh, by 2027, the uh, counter UAS market will be. 4.7 billion dollars. So, if we go, if we think back in the article uh, that uh, was referenced on DJI, they're, they're about uh, 4.2 billion dollars this year. That's an estimate. DJI is privately held, and with a, a compound annual growth rate of 30% out through 2027, that yields a market total of about 25.3 billion dollars. Or, in other words, counter UAS will be about 20% the size of the full drone industry. So one of the things that, that struck me at the end of this article was who are the players? And so it's um, Raytheon, Boeing, BAA Systems, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, L3 Communications, that's Harris, Moog, Sales Group, Saab AV, and Israel Aerospace. So a lot of the um, uh, avionics as well as uh, uh, manufacturers of aircraft are also into counter UAS. So to me, this is uh, important for us from a perspective of uh, watching legislation, watching the technology, watching what's uh, uh, what's going on, as well as um, not a bad place to work. Those are all, uh, you know, those companies that are reside in the U.S., those are good firms to work for and uh, absolutely uh, fantastic uh, STEM uh, STEM companies. So either they're planning on countering a lot of UAS, or to counter one UAS is going to cost each company a fortune <laughs> to to come up with those numbers. Yeah, yeah, and and so they are um, most you know. So you have to have a federal contract if you're if you're going to do counter UAS. 
cannot do it. Uh, a local uh, police force not authorized, it's my understanding, has to be federal um, or an, um, a designee of the FAA. So federal contract, lots of money. <laughs> so we, we should be paying cats, according to XJet. The cat that takes care of the tiny whoop, knocking him out of the sky, is great counter UAS technology. <laughs> and those videos are pretty cool. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right. Um, this to me uh, reminded me if we could jump forward to the to the uh, secret, the popular mechanics article. Skunk Works reveals its secret speed racer aircraft. Can we jump to that sure. one? Sure. Here you go. Sorry to take sorry to take us out of the uh, That's all right. So so I have a hunch that most of us in, in this uh, hobby uh, or profession, if you're doing this uh, for a business, are aviation nuts. So this struck me that this was a uh, a photograph of a, a Lockheed um, drone. And one of the uh, uh, aircraft. So I, I had the, the privilege of uh, working with uh, uh, Lockheed engineers, uh, selling them structural analysis software 100 years ago. And uh, one of the uh, aircraft that um, I was uh, particularly enamored with was the uh, SR-71 Blackbird. And the, uh, the Blackbird uh, had its first official flight in December of 1964. So 16 wow. years later, well, yeah, 16 years later, in 1980, when I graduated from mechanical engineering, a friend of mine went to work for Singer Link Simulator, and they had a SR-71 simulator that they had built. Uh, he had to get a, a top secret clearance at that time uh, to work on it. And even for the engineers who worked on it, the altimeter was blacked out. So there was a lot of sensitivity <laughs> associated with that aircraft. And if uh, you ever get to uh, this, uh, the Smithsonian uh, out at uh, uh, Dulles Airport, there's a, a beautiful example of one of the SR-71s. They were finally retired in 1998. So as you look at the uh, some of the, the engineering things, like it leaked uh, jet fuel like a sieve as it right. was taking off. Until it got it, it was, heated up. Because as it got warm enough, so the uh, thermal expansion of the uh, the metal would seal the, uh, the fuel tanks. Pretty scary stuff, <laughs> yeah. and it uh, apparently still still holds the uh, transatlantic uh, speed record. So yeah, I've only built a, a, a couple of actual like little plastic models in my life, and the SR seventy one is one of the couple things I've ever built. So to, to me, the the reason that I brought this up is. One of the companies that uh, is working on counter UAS as well as UAS is Lockheed. They do, they do a lot of great engineering. They're a, a complicated uh, military uh, uh, contractor, but uh, a good firm to work for. And I'm sure it's totally just a coincidence, but that picture of what it looks like is awfully similar to that UFO sighting that the air, airlines recently had about a cylindrical object flying through the sky. <laughs> I'm sure it was just a coincidence. Okay, so I think I skipped the article on the Choctaw Nation teaming up. All right, let's see if I can grab that link and paste it in the chat for everybody. There you go. Yeah, so this is this is interesting. Um, apparently, the FAA is working with the Choctaw Nation to study how unmanned aircraft can best transport cargo, including parcels at lower altitudes. So. And some of the uh, drone advisory committee work that uh, that I'm doing, learning a lot about uh, the difficulties uh, in uh, radio communication in uh, in valleys, and uh, it's uh, it, it's a real challenge. So mm -hmm. this is a uh, this is a good uh, to me. This is there's doing good and, and looking good, and so when you know there is uh, you know looks good for the press, but it's also doing uh, doing good for uh, the whole country. And to me, this is a positive. And so I had uh, one of the, this to me brought to mind, um, we're working on uh, the drone advisor, 
drone advisory tasking group number 10. It has to do with uh, gender neutral language. And so we're putting together recommendations for the aviation industry, starting with the drone industry on what we should uh, be doing about gender neutral language. And so one of the, uh, the groups is the, uh, the airline uh, representation. And they are still uh, heavily, heavily male, like uh, north of 90% uh, uh, male in the cock in the cock. So that's a uh, an industry that there could use a little more uh, encouragement to uh, to to have uh, women uh, consider uh, that career. So a number of the things that we do are about STEM, and to me, this this uh, the work that we're doing with the DAC is uh, really positive in the sense of trying to encourage girls to think about STEM as they're in school and to encourage women uh, about uh, STEM careers. So I, uh, in this uh, time of uh, uh, trying to be a little bit more inclusive, trying to be uh, a little more understanding, I think it's a, a good thing uh, for us to work on in the, in the Drone Advisory Committee. Okay. And then we had, so Josh shared an article with us from 19, from 2016 in June, we're not sure why he shared this with us or why he wanted us to uh, to share this with the group. Yeah, I really wonder what his thoughts were. There was some new, or if maybe this was just in his, I don't know, <laughs> in his notes. In his from, list. I feel like he, he brought this the, one up before. But... He like it does look familiar. He likes the picture. You know, so 2016 looks like a uh, a DRL racer. What do you think, Alex? Think that, uh, it looks like it's got a hero three on the, the front back. of it there yeah and the one in the back maybe that that's a uh stylized uh dji fpv drone i don't know <laughs> so we're really not sure but a, to me what is interesting and uh, uh coming from global technology it's you know the, the speed at which our industry is uh is moving in drones is uh really you know we you know, we get, uh, when we're in the middle of it, you know, we think, oh my gosh, flight controllers haven't changed in ages. And, ah, oh, you know, I haven't seen a really significant uh, change in beta flight in ages. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, we're, we've slowed down technology. Uh, uh-uh. Technology is, it's really moving quickly and things like RPM filters and all of the work that's going on there underneath the covers and beta flight is amazing. And he's, uh, uh, what we're flying is just, uh, they get faster and better and more reliable all the time. Okay, so why why did he include that one? Oh, Green Car Congress. This one was interesting, Liquid Piston. Green so, Car Congress, Alex. okay, there we go. Got Alex, the link. What, what production car used a Wankel engine? in the I 1980s. Oh, gosh. I don't know I should, anything about cars. I should know that. I've heard of it, but now I can't think of it at the moment. <laughs> the Mazda RX-7 and RX-8. So Mazda licensed a Wankel rotary engine. XJet got it so in the chat. And did he? Yeah, good yep. man. We're, we're really very similar vintages. All right. The uh, so the one thing that puzzled me in the photographs of uh, of this engine, and so if you're not familiar with this, uh, it has three compression chambers and it it spins and it is a uh, and so just search uh, Wankel W A N K E L, and uh, or if you're really German Funkel, um, and it is it's a brilliant engine. It has it had uh, a significant flaw in that you had to tear it apart regularly, like every 40 or 50,000 miles and uh, replace the seals um, in, uh, in the combustion chamber. So other than that, it was fantastic. And uh, the, late, the later, the, the more advanced uh, models that Mazda uh, released. And what's interesting is this article says that this is a diesel. And when you know, those I, I, maybe they're glow plugs, but they sure look like spark plugs on the those three uh, protuberances uh, on the in the photograph. Sure, yeah, they sure like do. Spark plugs, but they say they're this is a diesel uh, engine. And what's cool about this 
is they want to create a hybrid. So they want to use the Wankel, or the, pardon me, the liquid piston rotary, the next generation uh, rotary engine, it's not a Wankel, um, uh, as a hybrid to power a generator. So, okay, all right, that, that's cool. So, and they have a, the website has a, a cute little uh, photograph of uh, uh, go-kart and uh, we'll see if, uh, and they, they got a contract, a, a big federal contract. So uh, they're definitely beyond uh, prototyping uh, this, yeah. this little So engine. I assume that's to do hybrid so that they can use fuel, liquid fuel to get much, much longer run times. Exactly, exactly. And the, the engine is very efficient. Uh, and so, the, yeah, they can keep a, a, a generator crunching along uh, for hours and hours. And, and if hours I understand it right, it's really hard to, well, like, you, to, to use a gas engine to power, like, the the blades of a drone because you can't spin them up and down fast enough. You need an electric motor to do that properly. Right. Right. Yeah. But you need some, like, torque tubes and things like that. And it's just, no, not, you yeah. know, electric motors are just so much better at that. Okay, so, so it's good to have gearheads uh, in the in the crowd. I know I know Tex uh, uh, Texjet is uh, he's definitely a. I don't uh, think he's gearhead. with us tonight. Oh nope, he's not on the is, participant uh, list. Because his four his four fifty four that's a, a displacement of a Chevy a Chevy engine. That's uh, so he's definitely a gearhead. Mm -hmm. All right. Last article was laser strikes increase even with fewer planes flying. There's the link for the chat. So, so this is really, to me, this is unfortunate. And I, I would just ask if anyone sees or hears about anyone doing this sort of dumb thing, this is dangerous to to pilots. It's dangerous to the overall uh, airline, to any aircraft, uh, any manned aircraft flying. And it uh, brings along a, a civil penalty of $11,000 per violation. So I'm just, Yikes. I thought this was a phase. I thought this just went away. I'm very unfortunate that uh, this, the uh, frequency of this is doubling. And it just, you know, like, you know, as a, as a community of people who you know, try to, uh, to follow sensible rules, you know, if you see this, just, just get people to stop it. This is I don't know so, if people have so more free time dangerous. now, so they're shooting lasers in the sky. But if they want right. to point their lasers right. at something, they can uh, try to point them at my freestyle drone while I'm flying around. There you go. <laughs> That'll give there them something go. to do. And as uh, Bruce mentions, a pilot's worst nightmare, a drone with lasers on it. He mounted two <laughs> lasers to his MXP-230 back in the day. Yeah, that would get some FAA attention right there. Yeah. No. No. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> Just no, no. No firearms. No lasers. No bombs. Nothing. We don't. Just, just don't do it. It's just a bad, just a bad plan. Your, your day will not end well. All right. But if you had um, a really bright green laser shining off your drone, you could fly it at night and see it really far away, so it'd still be in line of sight. And it would probably exceed <laughs> the three uh, statute miles or nautical miles, yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Um, what else did you have I for us to today? Chat. Last two things I wanted to chat about. One was the uh, uh, ASTM work. So one of the things that's uh, that's interesting to me as I started to get uh, involved in this a couple of years ago is like who's working to help the recreational industry as well as small uh, small commercial UAS uh, shepherd through regulations and standards. So I have recently uh, signed up to help out on the ASTM uh, F38 committee F. 3411 standard, which is the remote ID standard. And um, as I mentioned uh, before we started uh, taping this evening, there are about 110 people that are on the distribution list. And there are about 60 people on the call every Friday, and it's a every Thursday and Friday, and it's a three hour block of time. And these are really sophisticated uh, engineers, um, programmers, uh, manufacturers, uh, engineering management. Um, and so, 
they are dedicating this block of time to what now update and race race against the clock to update the standard. And I may have mentioned that what the approach is, is that we will produce an update to the ASTM remote ID standard that will be provided to the FAA. And with an approval, it will be a means of compliance. And so that meaning, if you want to build a broadcast module or a standard uh, remote ID UAS, you follow that standard and you have demonstrated the means of compliance. Even so if you, that you then is not strictly following what the regulations say, as long as it's following the means of compliance, it's okay. So that sort of Critical gives the point. FAA a, a, some wiggle room on things. Is that how that works? It's it, and it can go in either direction. It can be either a uh, you know a, amplifying or an attenuation, and so it can be less or more wiggle room, and so wh whatever makes sense. And so the FAA it has been very clear that their objective is to not get in the way they really want people to or in manufacturers to be able to make products and so one of the things we're working on right now is the uh, gps uh, altitude specification and so we'll go around on this but there are as i said 60 or 70 people spending blocks of time together as well as uh, doing research uh, in off hours to race to get about one year to the of time to the manufacturers so that they'll have time to make the, uh, the broadcast modules as well as the standard uh, uh, RID uh, UAS, remote has, identification uh, UAS. Has anybody seen any public information about any companies releasing any plans for making like remote ID modules or putting remote ID, standard remote ID in their their aircraft or anything? I haven't seen anything publicly yet. Just curious. Yeah, I, I've not seen anything uh, that's public. Certainly there, you know, there are a number of contenders that we would love to see. Uh, and the benefit of what we're doing is they would be able to pick up the approved means of compliance, which it will be a deviation of, you know, a, a, an addendum to the original a ASTM standard and it will comply, you know, comply by, you know, per the FAA, and then the manufacturer needs to build it, and then they uh, work up a declaration of compliance, and then they're able to uh, produce uh, uh, the product, uh, the uh, broadcast module or a uh, standard uh, RID UAS. So Ryfly so, <clears throat> in the chat saying he hasn't seen anything for the hobby side, but uh, on the commercial side, there's stuff out there. I yeah, think that's what all, he's saying. And, and also in, on the military side, absolutely, uh, that's happening. And Bruce's plan is to have his drone drop business cards while it flies. <laughs> that's, his, that's his broadcast? Excellent. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. It'll let you know who he is. <laughs> all right. So one of the things we're uh, changing gears last topic was uh, we're working with on on the tasking group nine that we heard uh, back uh, last month uh, at the DAC, there was a, a brief uh, update by Matt Satterley. And the uh, tasking group is to, to uh, create recommendations to improve situational awareness for low altitude aircraft using uh, remote ID information. So the but as, as we devised and broke up the activities of this uh, this tasking group, one of the one of the subgroups, the one I'm working on or spending most of the time on, is let let's think outside of the box and what would be useful to help situational awareness. And one of the things that we're uh, asking is we would really like uh, remote uh, pilots or drone pilots to be able to use or to get on easily. To, uh, be licensed to use aircraft uh, radios so that they're and this would be in uncontrolled and untowered airspace so if a uh, an aircraft is uh, uh, manned aircraft is flying in uh, in and around an airport and uh, comes on and uh, declares that they're going to land 
there can be a conversation between a drone pilot and the manned aircraft. And today, that is explicitly illegal. So as a, someone on the ground, you cannot get on that aviation frequency. So this would be would not require a rule, uh, a rule change. This would you now this could be done uh, somewhat easily, and we feel it would help situational awareness. Uh, you know, if if all of a sudden if we're flying like uh, my uh, local radio control club flies at a uh, an airport, and the airport is privately owned, and maybe one aircraft takes off a month, so it's not really heavily used. But it is an aircraft that's uh, uh, uncontrolled airspace. So if someone wanted to land, they could. And wouldn't it be cool if we could have one mm -hmm. of these turned on, and monitoring, and, uh, and have you a can, conversation? You can listen right now. You're just not allowed to push the talk button, right? Good, absolutely right. And yep. I'm pretty sure XJet's probably going to just say this. That I know I've seen in his videos, he's got uh, a radio like that when he's flying at his airport and listening to the traffic. And yeah, he just wrote yep. in the chat that we used to do that here at the local airfield and it was a significant contributor to safety until the CAA banned him from using the radio, even though he has a valid RTOs, the radio telephone operator certificate. Right, right. And, and uh, uh, Alex and I were talking that he and I both have our general class ham radio operator license, but that, that does not get in the United States, that does not give us the privileges to operate on the aviation frequencies. So that so this is just an example of common sense, and we've got a group of really knowledgeable folks uh, on this uh, uh, sub on this subgroup, and uh, this is one of the recommendations that will likely uh, bubble up uh, to the uh, to the DAC. Yeah, so to me, I was just so silly that you guys yeah. could be out flying at an airfield. You could hear an airplane coming and say, I don't know, somebody's got a an accident going on on the runway, or there's just a, you know an aircraft in the air that can't get down right away and you can't tell them hey watch out just hang on a minute while we get out of your way <laughs> we yeah there's a good example i'm for the last 20 years i've participated in a a model uh event it's an ama sanctioned club in uh, rhinebeck new york and it's the rhinebeck jamboree and so we've done this now for 50 years and i've been part of it for 20 and we have um huge um were uh, pre-1939 model airplanes flying uh, all weekend long. It's also, there's an air show that's done. So there are full-scale uh, aircraft landing on this uncontrolled strip through the weekend. And so wouldn't it be great if we could have contact with the people uh, in, in the sky because some are just flying over because they see all this excitement and fun and like to circle, which you know for forces us to quickly land six or seven you know, very large uh, model airplanes. Uh, and so, yeah, it would make a lot, a lot of sense from a safety perspective as well as uh, efficiency. And I wanted to end on something uh, positive as I was uh, looking through this list of uh, news <laughs> that was uh, a, little, a little depressing. A little less than positive. Well, we can always go back to the fact that they delayed remote ID for five weeks. <laughs> Right. Now we just need work. one more of those every month for the next, you know, 10 years and we'll be good. <laughs> Infinitely delayed yeah, the not... remote ID. Yeah. No. All right. Anything uh, around the room or any, uh, any points or questions? Alex, yeah. anything on uh, anything from York, York University? Nothing here yet. Alex, are you on one uh, of the tasking groups? Yes. I'm on the tasking group nine, uh, subgroups one and two. What are the subgroups? Say that again? I said I show up when I'm not in class. Oh, when you're not in class. You said you're on subgroups one and two. What are what are those about? Uh, subgroup one is was so far just looking over the RFIs and looking at more questions we can ask to narrow down or get more information on what remote ID could be used for, so for the low altitude and aviators. In the March timeframe, the FAA let an RFI and they got 
30 responses. And so that was uh, way under what they wanted. So just as Alex is saying, we've looked through the RFIs, we've read all, all, all of them. And then from that, we've, we've created a, uh, a survey uh, that will be probably in number of surveys because the original RFI was specified uh, and directed only to um, helicopter pilots. And the question was, how could you improve situational awareness with a drone uh, in flying low altitude? And so it absolutely took a manned aircraft and helicopter approach. So there was a people were wondering why isn't there a UA uh, you know a drone perspective or and it's like well because the RFI was let to only helicopter pilots. So we're expanding that. That's subgroup one, and subgroup two is a, a matrix of what's available to uh, identify uh, aircraft, uh, dr drones, uh, or predominantly drones in the sky. And so that's uh, UAS to UAS as well as ground to UAS. And so it's a, a good update uh, of the uh, inventory of technology. And then uh, subgroup three is the one uh, that I mentioned, which is uh, where we are making recommendations that will uh, be uh, piecewise uh, improvements in situational awareness as we get to an uh, unmanned traffic management system. All right. So. And Ryfly was okay. clarifying about the the delay to remote ID that don't forget that once it's around, you have three years to comply. So the delay was in the final ruling going into effect. And then after it's in effect, it says you have three years to comply. So we have roughly until now October, I suppose, of 2023 before we have to have compliance with remote ID. And manufacturers Thank have you. a year good. less than that. Good. Thank you for the reminder. Very good. Uh, very good point. You know, I mean, we we just saw it and like, oh yeah, we just factored that into yeah. our. Doesn't everyone know that that meant October twenty twenty three? No. Right. Thank you. Good. Good point. And let's see. XJet's wondering: Is anyone worried that someone with a DJI FPV drone will fly without an observer and injure an innocent party, causing the FAA to clamp down really hard on compliance with the observer rule? My, I, my my feelings are is we're already in the crosshairs of the FAA and they're coming down pretty hard on everything. So I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like random drone flyers are really the driving force behind a lot of these rules. But one of the so maybe. one of the things that I'm I'm if this comes up, I want to take this on as a an opportunity to see if we can press for some testing about improved situational awareness when you're using a set of goggles and you have your you have the ability to yaw instantaneously to see what's behind you you can see what's around and so you know i i i feel you know flying uh model rc uh fixed wing airplanes visual line of sight for four decades and then for the last five years flying uh quads with the fbv just to me, the the improved situational awareness is amazing, but but of course the uh, the the doctrine is oh no you need a visual observer to be able to see the con the context of where that aircraft is flying so you can see if there's something farther away coming into your space of where you're flying. Uh, you know, not with the quality of yeah. graphics that if we have uh, in the goggles flying... now. Right, FPV far away from you, looking farther away from you, you can see something better than you can line of sight that distance away. Yeah, totally with you there. And, Flying and FPV the, gives you better situational awareness in most cases. Right, right. and the topic that, that we're working on on this tasking, which is, you know, what's the situational awareness at low altitudes? You know, so we're talking about agriculture sprayers, we're talking about helicopters, we're talking about medevac, police. Um, tourism, you know, private, uh, and so it's a it's a good topic. But uh, yeah, so good question. Appreciate the humor, but we're also we may try to take it uh, see if we can take it seriously. If there is a uh, and with the uh, if there's a, a a huge increase in the number of FPV uh, pilots and the FAA responds to the lack of visual observers, uh, it's a goal that uh, that I have to 
see if we can lighten up the uh, the guidelines on the uh, visual observer. Well, and if we've got more FPV drones in the sky and still zero aircraft falling out of the sky from being hit by drones, then we just have more data to say it's it's safe. It's it's not an issue. Yes. Uh, let's see, Ryfly is also saying the real question will be the flying zones. Everyone assumes that the AMA field will get counted, but still no one knows what will get approved as far as FRIAs go. That's correct. Yeah. And, and not every AMA field will necessarily get approved either. So that's that correct. To to as right. well. and, they all, and they all have to uh, apply. It's not, you're not just grandfathered in if you have an existing AMA field or if you have a, an MOU. It's like, nope, you got to start over. So Dave, as someone who's works with the AMA on a field and all that, um, has there been much talk about the FRIAs and becoming a FRIA for your local chapter? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's in fact a concern because uh, it's going to be tricky when uh, our our primary field is a this is uh, actually uh, an airport an airport. Yeah, that'll be a challenge. So we'll probably have some discussions, but. Like I said, the upside is that it really it's I'm not exaggerating. It's maybe one aircraft a month flies out of this place. Sure. The, uh, uh, the the average uh, age of the uh, of the of the club of uh, uh, pilots is probably about 83, 84 years old. So <laughs> that's on the manned aircraft side. So they're not getting out a lot. And Bruce says, in Australia, you can't legally fly the DJI FPV drone without joining their national model flying body or getting a special written exemption directly from CASA. I guess the, huh. their their rules for FPV are a little different than, than ours. Sort of like what we had before the Reauthorization Act when it actually made FPV doable. Yeah. So using your magical uh, chart of uh, frequencies, you could, uh, and with the previous DJI, the DJI digital FPV system, mm -hmm. uh, we could see what was legal and what was not uh, legal or what required a ham radio license, I should say, and yes. which, which, which frequencies did not. And so it was uh, DJI applied and got FCC Part 15 uh, uh, certification for... I think it was three of their channels. And um, so if you still, if you didn't have a ham radio license and you really wanted to be a legal beagle, you could select licenses or select channels and then fly completely legally. Yep. And does anyone know what the story is with uh, what the uh, frequencies are that the new uh, DJI FPV system uses? I, I, have, I know it's dual. I have not seen like specifically what channels use what frequencies yet. Yeah, and you're right. It can do 2.4 or 5.8. Yeah, and I'm pretty yep. sure that the FCC legal ones were the middle section. So like channel 3, 4, 5, and 8. So I have a theory that that's how they're, they're spaced out a certain way. They've got two on the bottom that are outside, two on the top that are outside, and they've got four in the middle. And it was channel three, four, five. And then they're like, oh, shoot, we want that last channel that automatically pops up as the default to be in that range. So they named it channel eight. And that's kind of why they're out of this crazy ordering. Right. Yeah, so you've got four channels to choose from, or one, I suppose, one channel to choose from if you're in the 50 megabits per second mode. No idea how that relates to the FPV drone, though. So I bring it up to because as we have uh, more and more people uh, purchase the uh, DJI FPV drone, how you know, what was uh, you know do you also need a ham license to use it? And um, uh, we don't know the answer yet. Uh, I'm trying to find out, and uh, we'll uh, let folks know. I, well, we, you could we ask know. ask Bruce if the box says Part 15 certified on it anywhere. Although that would not necessarily be in his his version of the box, unless they've got the same box worldwide, but maybe it would be. I, I know those screen, FCC... I have seen screenshots. I know on my, you know, like the air unit box, or at least in the manual somewhere, it says FCC part 15 certified on it. Yep. All right. Other questions or comments? 
Yeah, anybody in the in the chat got well, more questions? Oh, Alex. Our fly was talking about working with the county council to create an RC park and get that as a free However, just wanted to uh, say how again that cities are not able and counties aren't able to apply to be free as need a CBO or educational organization sponsor for you it, got it. You got to it. apply. So even yeah, uh, yeah, even if it's public land or yeah. stuff, it still yeah. needs the sponsor from CBO or educational. Right. And of course, the community-based organization criteria has not yet been released by the FAA. We anticipate it, anticipate it will soon. Yeah, hopefully uh, by the end of the year. <laughs> yep, that's what they said last year. <laughs> we forgot to ask which year. <laughs> well, they said they said that they said they were looking in December of 2020 to bring it along with remote ID, but I guess they got yep. too busy. I'll have to check up with that. Yep. Oh, and slightly related to that, did we want to mention anything about that potential new bill that uh, is it sent the senators proposing yet again? Senator Lee. Yes. Yeah, we can mention that. Um, so we, it's it's the bill is still in planning, so it does not yet have a uh, a number associated with it. But Senator Lee, who um, issued this uh, bill last year as uh, Senate. 2505 under the last Congress, the 116th, um, uh, put forward a drone zoning um, piece of legislation. And at first blush, it's like, well, that sounds so bad. That means you know, I can fly up to 200 feet and uh, you know, no remote ID. It's you know, held under state and local municipalities. Eh, it doesn't sound so bad. Uh, we, we oppose this, uh, this legislation because it opens up and encourages uh, private companies, uh, like uh, one notable uh, uh, software firm uh, in particular, to uh, charge fees for flying, for landing and taking off. Uh, and it also requires that you get uh, permission to fly over public land as well as private land. Uh, so this is this is not a uh, positive in our view. Uh, the last time the bill came out, uh, gov gov.track, the uh, very useful website, uh, gave it a 3% chance of uh, uh, passage, and uh, that's about where it sat. It never went, it never got out of committee, which was just fine by us. Um, and we are concerned that uh, Senator Lee uh, brought this topic up during the uh, Senate uh, confirmation hearings of uh, now Secretary Buttigieg. So he's, uh, he's on a bit of a tear on this topic. And we uh, may uh, ask folks to uh, uh, send uh, love letters to your senators and congressmen if they are on the uh, aviation subcommittees. Uh, we'll see how it goes. One of the, the reason we are concerned about this is that things, you know, the positions and ideas are starting to formulate for the 2023 uh, Reauthorization Act, which will be uh, taking up a significant shape uh this year and of course next year i could see that this would be a very controversial thing especially in the uh, the fpv community there's a lot of people that you know it's my airspace around my house i should own it kind of thing and right on the other That's hand on first, on, on first blush it sounds attractive right on the other hand if your city state whatever basically says no drones flying anywhere you can fly in your yard, but don't leave your yard or else you're in trouble. And we're going to use RID to uh, charge you. Yeah. And reading yeah. through that proposal, it definitely made it sound like their their vision of the future is every drone takes off from your property or from public property, goes up to 200 feet, flies in the area between 200 and 400 feet, zooms around a little bit, comes back home and lands. That's, that's, their, that's how drones work, which... To most right. of us would be extremely boring flights <laughs> right like, no no racing no no what about that racing like... that would be interesting to race at 200 feet yeah you've got to have your gates at 200 feet tall gates yeah. elevated air, air gates yeah yeah 
lighter, lighter held up by lighter than aircraft. I love it. <laughs> yeah, just no prop strikes on them. I was thinking, well, you know, they just they just fizzle because it'd be helium, not nitrogen, right? Well, so you did hit a gate. You have plenty of time to recover and fly back up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but then you'd be breaking the law. Right? Yeah, you fall below two hundred feet, and you're you get fined. <laughs> you're kind of screwed. <laughs> Extra incentive to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Rifi well, says, the gates would be digital. Too. They'd be like augmented reality gates, which yeah. would be pretty cool. So, if, so if yeah, the, those of you who are also uh, watching, uh, uh, pay attention to uh, Kenji Sugahara and Vic Moss and their uh, Facebook groups, as well as uh, uh, the uh, drone service provider uh, alliance, DSPA. Uh, the the 501c6 that uh, that they formed. Uh, we talk to Kenji and Vic all the time, and we uh, whatever we figure out, we'll be uh, working on together. And they have a, a great representation across commercial. Uh, our FPV community with FPVFC. Uh, our focus is recreational, but we know there are a lot of folks that are uh, also commercial. So uh, we would hope, or we will be working uh, in concert uh, with. Uh, Kenji and, uh, and Vic, and uh, we'll have a, a commercial and uh, uh, recreational position that's uh, consistent. Does anybody happen to have that bill handy in a link we could paste? Um, 1T is asking for information about the bill and says, if I can, I will meet with Senator Lee about this. Okay, yeah, it's a, uh, we have it as a PDF, but it's yeah. a draft, so. Uh, I'm sure it's got to be out where? there somewhere. Yeah. I don't it's know if this PDF zoning. has enough information to find it elsewhere. I would otherwise so guess it's on it. Facebook someplace. Yeah, how can we help? Uh, can we put it up on Discord or? And this I, is yeah, this I, is a draft document. So this is not like we said; it's not uh, not yet published. Might be prudent to uh, wait, and maybe we'll put it up. Uh, we can put a link on it when we get the uh, the bill number. If it gets that published, might be... okay. Alex posted yeah, the PDF into into Discord, so he can grab the ah. PDF from there. Good thinking, Thanks. Alex. There's Thank you. your email. <laughs> So, excuse me. Did you you did what? I downloaded it off the email that you sent. Good, that works. And as long as as long as you just put it up with just the PDF. Yes, just the PDF. Perfect. Thank you. Well, is there anything else we forgot to cover this week? Okay, we missed Josh. We we appreciate Josh all the more. Yeah. Hopefully he'll be back in two weeks for our next meeting. That would be great. But Dave, I think you did a great job keeping this meeting going. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, uh, we'll call it an evening. And uh, thank you, everyone, for signing in. And uh, we'll be, as uh, Dan said, we'll be back in two weeks. And study hard, Alex. <laughs> Good luck. See you guys later. Take care.